Welcome to The Backdrop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have what I would call a passion project of an episode. I've been talking to this gentleman for quite some time about his uh, array of interests, and I'm very excited to have him on the show. Parker Anderson is joining us from Greener Golf. Formerly, Parker was a research scientist in the Turfgrass Science Lab at the University of Michigan, focused on developing strategies to address sustainability challenges that face the golf industry. Parker has also the unique duality as a member of the PGA of America and Golf Course Superintendents of America. He holds master's degree in landscape architecture and sustainable systems from the University of Michigan School of Natural Resources and Environment. Parker earned his bachelor's degree in economics and environmental studies from the University of California, Santa Barbara, where, and I hope you're ready for this, he is a founding member of the band Iration, a favorite on the golf course of many of you I know. But with all these fascinating backgrounds, Parker is really on the show today for one main reason. He is an experienced beekeeper and pollinator advocate, teacher, and consultant for golf courses across the country. So you'll need to excuse my excessive use of bee puns on this one, but ever since we selected the pollinator when New Club was getting off the ground in 2017, we've had this stubborn interest in environment, uh, ecology, and specifically the contributions of pollinators to the local ecosystem. So it's something that I've geeked out on over the years and read a variety of different books on, but being able to talk to an expert like Parker, uh, who has this experience in the game of golf. Oh, by the way, Parker is also going to be working with Renaissance Golf Design uh, as a shaper. So the guy, there's nothing in the game the guy hasn't touched. And it's just really awesome to have his perspective on this other uh, needling interest of mine on entomology and pollinators. So without further ado, let's talk about our partner. Bringing us this pod is our friends at Golf Blueprint. Golf Blueprint will be teaming up with the new club staff and our fellow members to put on the party that is our spring meeting at Sweetens Cove, April 22nd through 24th. And with the golf season quickly approaching, many of us will be getting reacquainted with our golf games, knocking some of the rust off and tuning up the game at the range or nearby simulator. Now, how many of us leave the range asking ourselves this question, did I get better? I know that's why I started using Golf Blueprint, as I just didn't know. With the time that I have allocated to practice, I wanted to make it count. From talking to other members who also use Golf Blueprint, I've grown to appreciate how they personalize each plan to the specific game and skill levels of each player. It might seem obvious, but a professional golfer shouldn't have the same practice plan as a one handicap, and a one handicap shouldn't have the same practice plan as say a 20 handicap. So why do we all watch what Jordan Spieth is doing and try to emulate that as our practice plan from the words of a fellow member, Brad, a 13 handicap. I always left the range asking myself if I worked on the right things with Kevin and Nico's help. I don't do that anymore. I know exactly what I was there to do. I did it. I feel a renewed sense of progress and confidence each time I'm walking back to the car. Do yourself a favor this spring and check out Golf Blueprint. Members can sign up for a limited time uh, the remainder of spring in the mobile app for a Golf Blueprint plan right now. If you're not a member of New Club, go check them out, golfblueprint.com. Without further ado, on to the show with Parker Anderson of Greener Golf.
Parker Anderson. Welcome to the Bag Drop. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be hanging out with you. Here we are. I mean, it's been uh, yeah. months of, of back and forth, and we finally found our date. And I'm I'm pretty damn excited to have you on the show today. Me too, man. I mean, with your uh, cool cool business plan and your cool logo, we're gonna have a good conversation today. Well, well that's the thing. So there's no shortage of golf dorks that I spend time with and I can talk to on this show. Many, many golf dorks have joined me on the show. Um, you might be in that category. We'll find out, sure. but you're also in this other world that I have been fascinated with for about five years. Maybe if I'm honest with myself, my entire life and it's entomology, it's, uh, ecology, um, and, and just biosystems and how they work. So I, I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to be pretty into this and I'm just excited to have, you're my first guest on the backdrop that hits this category of, <laughs> of the world. So just, just thanks for, for being here. Yeah. Golf slash be geek. Ha- <laughs> be geek. Happy to have, happy to have that title. Absolutely. Yeah. Be geek and golf dorks. It's that's <laughs> what this show's about. Um, yeah. I wanted to start with this quote that I just read in, in, uh, Scotland's Gift by C.B. McDonald. All of our Chicago listeners are going to know this book. It's about golf in America and its emergence. But this quote was his buddy over in London, Horace Hutchinson, uh, who wrote, wrote to him about the emergence of golf in England and how it was just taken off. And this was this game like sweeping the nation. Now, these are two guys that you know knew each other in St. Andrews and they're obviously know why golf is awesome. But now people are are uh, regarding it as awesome. So here's the quote. Most regard golf as a harmless form of imbecility, holding towards it much the same attitude that the general mind has towards a grown man with a net and a taste for entomology. So I I love that quote because it's, it alludes to this golf dorkery, this uh, uh, bee geek, side. I just want to ask you to get us started. Where did these two worlds collide for you? How, how did you become a, a beekeeper and a PGA professional? Wow. I mean, there's just so many, uh, so many things that have added up to this, to this point in my life. And as same as you, I've been a lifelong, you know, really interested in bugs and science and the environment and, um, And so that's kind of been one side of my thing, kind of a naturalist, spent a lot of time outdoors. Uh, But on the other side of, you know, played golf my whole life. My family is big into golf. I played a lot of golf with my dad. We travel around and play in some some tournaments here and there. And uh, when I was in college, I was, I was kind of wondering like, what am I going to do in undergrad? I was like, what am I going to do? And I took an internship uh, somewhere where I worked in an office all day. And I was like, that's not, that's not really for me. So I was pretty good at golf. So I decided to move down to the desert and, and really got, got into it and, and became a PGA member, a club pro, um, was down there for a while and played on some mini tours for a while as well. And I just, the more I played that, you know, just, it's just a great, uh, great game to learn from and, and a great way to connect with people. And I just saw it as a great opportunity to connect with nature. You know, you're outside, you're with your buddies and you're, you're just looking around and like a round of golf, you're, you're playing, you're actually playing golf for like 10 minutes where, whereas you're out in this space for four plus hours. And I just saw this kind of gap between 
um, kind of what the perception of golf is, or, you know, I'd, I'd say a non-golfer views, views golf as this kind of like elitist, uh, you know, polluting kind of water wasting, uh, land use. And, you know, I've been out on golf courses where there's flowers and bees and ponds and, you know, you know, flora and fauna. And, uh, there's kind of this, this gap in, in that. And so I've, I've found a way to kind of bridge that gap. You know, I went to grad school to focus specifically on how to make golf, um, you know, better for the environment, how to share that narrative and how to really engage the non-golfer to see golf as like a useful community beneficial, you know, pollinator friendly land use. And, uh, I think there's, um, some really positive things happening in, in the golf world where, um, you know, these underutilized spaces on a golf course, uh, can, can add a lot of value to that, uh, to that operation. I, the, I'm going to start where, um, my head's at a lot of these days. Cause I stare at our logo so often in a lot of the yeah. stuff I do and, and pollinators. Um, but you're, you're rare, right? Like you're, you're rare in that, uh, you have these two dichotomies of your PGA background, the golf business, um, your playing ability, and then this, this uh, knowledge of sustainability and, and um, what our ecosystems need to survive. And I think, you know, your, your business greener golf, before I get to the pollinators and your work there, your business greener golf is, is not just about bees and, and it's, um, their ability to enhance ecosystems at golf courses, but it's, it's really about just a sustainable future overall for golf. Right. I mean, what, well, how would you sign up? How would you sum up your work at greener golf and what, what it's really geared towards? Well, greener golf focuses on sustainability and creating a positive future for, for golf. I mean, we're facing some incredible global issues with regard to the environment and especially with pollinators as well. We can talk about that too, but, uh, you know, sustainability is such a broad umbrella and I think there's just so many opportunities for golf courses to utilize science and, and partner with nature to really create a beneficial golf environment. I mean, we're not taking away from the golf experience. I think we're actually adding and enhancing that golf experience by creating additional programming, opening the course up to, to more interests and more values and, and more players and, uh, sustainability in general, like I said, is really broad. And so it kind of touches on things from hard science to kind of the social sciences and community engagement. And, uh, the industry is at this point where you really need to kind of lean into, uh, this, this positive narrative and really, uh, focus on how, how golf can play a key role in the future that we're, we're trying to, uh, to have. And, um, you know, it's, we're kind of at that point where, uh, we're kind of not, not quite, uh, fully committed, but I think there's, a, we're learning a lot and, uh, the more, the more experiences and the more program we have at golf courses, the more storytelling we have, the, the better we're going to all end up as an industry. The, um, uh, so we're, let's dive into the pollinator rabbit hole or the, the pollinator yeah. beehive, I guess. Uh, 
before I get there, I'm going to set some context for a lot of our members might be listening. You know, they, they've heard our, um, we like analogies at new club and there's a lot of these analogies we've drawn with the ecosystem yeah. we've built with our membership and the ecosystems of, of pollinators and, and how they, you know, just enhance the, our surroundings, enhance our food systems and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. So we, we love playing around with that, but you know, what got me started on that, that line of thinking was a 2013, uh, time article, uh, called the plight of the uh, plight of the honeybee. <clears throat> so that was kind of like my introduction to the problem, I guess, around pollinators and that, like, I didn't even realize that was a big deal. And I think that was a big article that, you know, got rewrote and circulated and debated for a long time, but that I, I was wondering from your perspective, we can maybe start from the, the problem and then talk about some of the solutions, you know, what is it about, uh, the disappearance of bees that is so concerning for someone listening that may not, may not understand. Yeah. I mean, first, first off is we rely on honeybees for pollination services and other pollinators. I mean, pollinators is a big group of, of species, not just honeybees, there's native bees and butterflies and and so forth, but we rely on honeybees. Our agricultural system is built on the backs of, of honeybees. And so without them, we would be in a food crisis. Basically one out of every three bites of food is dependent on the pollination services of a honeybee. And so, uh, on the, so looking at the problem is we have something called colony collapse disorder, which is, which is basically, uh, up to about 50%, 30 to 50% of colonies every year die off. And so for a beekeeper, that's a huge loss every year that you're always having to rebuild from. And those, those die-offs are primarily from exposure to chemicals, from uh, vulnerabilities to they're, they're exposed to something called the Varroa mite, which is kind of makes them vulnerable to diseases. And, um, and then plus the exposure to chemicals and, and a variety of things um, they, they're kind of weakened. And so those die-offs happen uh, every year. And so that's a, that's a big red flag there. And so, uh, we depend on them in our agricultural system. They're having a serious kind of die-offs every year. So therefore that that's a huge issue for us moving forward. And, and so how do we kind of solve this problem? And what, what the, the solution is, is finding, uh, more space for pollinator forage. So planting a lot of flowers green spaces, uh, water availability, uh, reducing chemicals, chemical use. So buying organic produce and food is, is a, is something that people don't really consider as, as a solution, but I think that's a very important one. And just kind of being, uh, you know, supporting local beekeepers, supporting s- smaller beekeepers, the industrial beekeeping system is, is pretty tough on the bees and it creates some, uh, vulnerabilities of, bringing a ton of bees together and kind of mixing them up. And so that causes uh, the spread of disease and genetic bottlenecks and uh, exposure to, you know, spreading of mites and so forth. And so there's a number of issues that we're, we're looking at with bees, but I think there's some great solutions and I, and it's kind of crazy that golf kind of has a role in that. And I, I think that's, what's really cool about, about the golf industry is we have these giant green spaces all over the place. And, and we have something that's not necessarily related to golf that we can, we can support and add value 
to the golf operation there. I, one of my favorite books this past year I read was, uh, nature's best hope. If you've read that, it's, if we post this on YouTube, I'll show it in case people push, you know, promote someone else's book here, but, uh, Douglas Talame, he, um, it's, it's this approach of new conservation by your own backyard and like what you can do at home. And I found it really interesting. I mean, I live in the city. I don't have, there's a chapter on the city though, what we can Mm -hmm. do to help, uh, you know, carbon, carbon sequestering and just plants like you're talking about giving these, these corridors for pollinators to thrive and exist and help us, you know, it's helping them help us. And, uh, every, I, the whole book's great, but I, I was reading it and there's no mention of golf courses. There's no, and I, the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I was like, okay, this is great. You know, this, this could obviously make a huge, I mean, he even had some comparisons. Like you add up all the, ba- the backyards, front yards in America, you have more land than our national parks. And, mm-hmm. and the, the whole time I'm reading the book, I keep thinking about all the golf courses out there that don't have from, from an outsider's perspective, they don't have anything that he talks about in that book, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have the native grasses that I can see. They don't have the native plants. They don't have a lot of bees. A lot of my favorite golf courses. I've been asking myself, where are the bees? They're not there. What does that mm-hmm. mean? What does that mean? You know? And so I wanted to ask you, what does that mean? You know, why, why are our golf courses not having these things. Like what, what do we need to do to see more of it? And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, well, to, to go back to your, your comment there is like, when you look at a map satellite map of an urban area, you kind of see some green dots and then you zoom in. It's like, Oh, that's a golf course. That's a golf course. That's cemetery. That's a, a park. Well, there's a lot of these green dots are golf courses. And so those are little stepping stones or habitats for, for species that are present there and without those spaces, I mean, those species are, are going to be even, even more in crisis. Um, but so what, what, you know, bees are kind of all over the place and, and they love golf courses because of that open green space. There's tree hollows they can live in. They, they love to move into irrigation boxes, which is, which is a, a challenge for me because not where we want them, not, not where we want them. Yeah. So that's the goal is to keep them out of there and keep them safe somewhere else. So that's a, a, a bonus to setting up a beekeeping program, but uh, bees are what's called an indicator species. So, so in my world, the sustainability world, it's very difficult to quantify sustainability because there's so many different variables and factors that uh, it's hard to be a definitive and say, this course is sustainable. And so what an indicator species means is that uh, the presence and the health of that species indicates a healthy and environment, healthy ecosystem. So healthy bees on site indicates that this ecosystem is healthy. So, so it's kind of a shorthand way of saying, you know, we have healthy bees. So therefore we're doing a good job with sustainability and being caretakers of this ecosystem. And so that's kind of a a shorthand way of saying, you know, of, of quantifying the sustainability of a course. And so I think I've always, uh, uh, this is kind of a, a, kind of a funny path that I've been on is, you know, I thought sustainability was gonna be like, you know, starting with using less chemicals, starting with using less water. Um, you know, those are like the big costs and big kind of factors of, of golf course management. Um, but honestly, starting with bees is kind of a, a, a really 
important stepping stone because once you're caring about bees, then you're, then you're thinking about your chemical use. You're going to say, I'm not going to spray this product because it's bad for the bees. I'm going to use an alternative or I'm not going to spray when flowers are blooming or something like that. And then, you know, there's, there's like, well, we don't have a lot of flowers for the bees. So can we take this little area out of the golf course and turn it into this native pollinator habitat? And so now you're cutting out some of the turf and you're, uh, reducing your irrigation use. And so there's like these indirect ways of getting to the, the main issues that, that bees, um, bring about. So I, I call bees like the, the Trojan horse of sustainability because they, you know, just by focusing on bees, you have all these other indirect benefits. It's, uh, it's that, yeah, that's it makes sense. Cause you're right. Like the, pe- people in this, you know, Twitter verse of, guys talking about turf grass, you hear a lot about water use in chemicals, but not as much about the bees. Um, when you're going to talk to a, a superintendent and, um, or a membership perhaps about, you know, the bee initiative portion of all this mm-hmm. is how does that go? What, what, what's the conversation? Like, I, I'm just trying to put yeah. myself in your shoes now. Cause like, I, I, I know there's this, uh, this war on insects in a way that we've been yeah. brought, like it's, it's in our childhood, right? What do you do? You see a spider, your mom kills it with a shoe, you know, and, mm-hmm. and same with bees. Like, don't, you're going to get stung. You know, we hear that as, as a young kid. So there's like a lot of negative emotions mm-hmm. attached to these little guys and gals. <laughs> what, what's, what's that conversation like when you're telling people you need bees in your golf course? Like I, I can't, I'm, I'm hearing the reasons of why this is all positive, but when you're, you know, if I'm a golf course, what do, what are you telling me specifically of like, mm-hmm. Hey, you got to get the bees here first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're right. There's some challenging conversations and, and to be honest, a golf course operation kind of operates on a monetary like mindset with, with obvious reasons, because how does this affect my costs? How does this affect my revenue stream? And, and honestly, beekeeping is not a revenue generator. You're not going to make as much honey. <laughs> you're going to sell that's as much why, honey. That's not why you got into it. You were that's, trying to sling I mean, some honey and get go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I try to harvest a little honey here and there, but you know, it's not a moneymaker by any means. And so so that's a hard conversation to have is like, here's this program. There's not a lot of revenue potential from it, um, but there's a lot of value created from it. And so um, that's, that's the conversation, the educational process that kind of, this is starting point. The, the real starting point is like, there are bees present on this course. They live in trees. They live in irrigation boxes. They're stinging this, the, the maintenance crew when they're trying to irrigate the green or whatever. So there's a safety issue you know, the reason I started at goat Hill was there was like six colonies of bees in various irrigation boxes and tree hollows that were like right next to a green or right near a tea box. And so we've managed to extract those and put them safely in a, in a place that's dedicated to the bees. And so, you know, step one is safety, you know, bees will sting if they're threatened, honeybees, they don't want to sting you, but if there's a threat to their, if they see a threat to their colony, they're going to kind of make the ultimate sacrifice and, and sting you. Is there a time of year not to get sidetracked, but is there a time of year when stinging is more uh, prevalent? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say the hotter, the, the hotter, the temperatures, the more active the bees are and they're kind of like a little more agitated and there's a variety of character of honeybees. So some colonies are a little more aggressive than others. I mean, I've, I've been in colonies where they're like, there's just like a flood coming right at my face and luckily I have a veil, but they're like, you can see that they are not happy, not happy. And, uh, but I've worked with bees that are like super mellow. You can have them on your hand and you know, it's, it, so there's, there's a huge difference in, in character of some colonies. Um, but you have to kind of approach each one as it is a very dangerous, it's a wild, you know, it's a wild creature. It's a super organism that has the ability to, to take you out if it wanted to. Um, but, uh, it, so you the started safety yeah, and as yeah. like you, the, the re relocating bees mm -hmm. to a place that's not directly on our tea boxes and greens is, is a step. What are the other, like, uh, you know, value adds that, that you get, you got to consistently message or get across to them. Yeah. So the, so one is safety, finding a location that is beneficial for the bees that's out of play areas, but maybe also visible. So, so some members of clubs really like to see the bees, but from a distance, from a safe distance. Um, so safety is number one, but then number two is, is like, I think a lot of people recognize how important bees and pollinators are. So that stewardship potential of a golf course to say, Hey, we're doing something good for the community, for this ecosystem. That's a real big value. Uh, you know, third would kind of be, um, you know, you're because you're focused on, on the bees is, is you're reducing your chemical use or your, your, you're reconsidering your chemical program, whether it's fertilizers or pesticides or herbicides, you know, there's, there's a lot of alternatives out there that are less, less toxic to bees, less toxic. To, and that, that is also less toxic to humans. And so, you know, there's that kind of bonus. Um, and then it's, and it's, uh, you know, the, the value of, providing forage and providing opportunities for these species to thrive. So looking at your golf course, I'd say, I think the, the average golf course size is 150 acres and, you know, about two thirds of that space is utilized and managed for play for golf. So we're looking at about 50 acres on average that are maybe considered underutilized spaces or, you know, so that we could, if we were to intentionally design those spaces, uh, we would, we could add a lot of value. So whether it's pollinator habitat or, or gardens or, you know, stormwater catchment basins that have all these functions. And I think there's a ton of opportunity for those spaces that, um, you know, obviously the golf course superintendent, you know, I, they're, they're always like working super hard at maintaining the golf course. And I think, you know, that's their primary focus but I think most of them are super supportive of looking at those alternative uses of the out of play areas. And as long as it's not like I have to spend all my time, you know, tending to the flowers or whatever, but there's, there's like ways you can set up these areas that they're very self-sustaining, but also beneficial and add value to the operation. The, um, there's like the opportunity here just seems massive. Because when I'm thinking about all the golf courses that, that we frequent as a club, you know, it's part of our models, a variety of different places. 
there's far more that have those turf grass spaces, turf grass areas available for this sustainability effort, not currently being used today versus those I can think of that have them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, the leader in this that I can think of close to Chicago, where I'm currently at is the Dunes Club. And that's mm-hmm. the, the Kaisers have been lifelong, you know, there've been guests on this show and they've been lifelong conservationists and they've, their, their grandfather was big on it back, you know, mm-hmm. when it wasn't, <laughs> they weren't writing books on it, I guess, you know, maybe they yeah. were, but I would, yeah. I, not that we know about. And, and so th- that has been like in their DNA, right. For the resorts, for this conservation effort, for just being a part of the ecosystem versus being forced upon it. And, and so there's, I can't, I, I was, as I was preparing to talk to you, I was trying to think of other places uh, near us. We volunteer at Canal Shores. That's very similar following mm-hmm. the recipe of what you're doing at Goat Hill. But I wanted to ask you, who are the other leaders in this? Like who, who are those stewards that you're seeing do it really, really well that, that some of us may know? Man, I mean, there's, there's a long list and well, I mean, the one that I'm very involved with is Goat Hill, obviously in Oceanside and, and John Ashworth is super supportive of, of using Goat Hill as kind of a model for what sustainability is. I think actually a lot of municipal golf courses, um, are really good stewards of the environment because they're almost forced to be, you know, that I think they have more, uh, more eyes on them and, uh, they, they basically are required to be very responsible with their water and chemical use. And so they're a lot more interested in, in their footprint and how, and how that their impacts. And so, um, you know, I, I've spent time at the university of Minnesota as a researcher, and there's a couple of courses out there that are, um, you know, the municipal courses are, are fantastic. One that comes to mind is Keller uh, out in St. Paul, Keller national, um, they have like basically um, the out of play areas are, are basically what, what I would call ground under conservation. And so they have um, just tall wildflowers growing there. And it's, it's a great benefit to the, to the local pollinator population. Um, but you're right. The, the, the abandoned dunes, the Kaisers are really, really uh, have a strong conservation focus. I know abandoned dunes has the wild rivers coast Alliance as their nonprofit environmental uh, arm. And they do a lot of great conservation work. And I know uh, sand Valley um, out in the Midwest has um, a really strong environmental stewardship uh, kind of focus with their connection to, you know, Aldo Leopold and the, the sand County almanac kind of style. And um, Aldo seemed like a pretty cool dude. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, such a knowledgeable, um, you know, way ahead of his time. And well, I mean, you know, conservation makes a lot of sense of like, let's conserve these resources. And so, um, but he wrote, he had some great writings. I definitely recommend, uh, the San County Almanac and some of his, his letters. So many of his quotes can be, you you read the quote and you'd be like, is that about golf? You know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's about him and his lifelong, uh, love affair with nature, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I love, I love his books, man. It, um, seems like he's a really interesting, interesting guy. And I think with like relating that to golf, I think a lot of us that, you know, aren't 
don't read books about conservation and don't, you know, mm-hmm. know that much about this stuff. I think if you dig into it a little bit, even if we don't vocalize what it is we love about golf, the way that you started this conversation where there is that connection to nature, whether you mm-hmm. uh, directly address it or not and, and be a steward, you know, vocally for it or not, there's something deep in all of us that when we're out there on that terrain in that mm-hmm. landscape, playing our ball, like you feel different. And I think a lot of us don't acknowledge that it is our connection to nature. That's, that's such a big part of why we were there. If you go hit balls in a simulator for an hour, yeah, it feels good. It's, it's probably stress reliever. It ain't the th- same feeling you get when you play golf. And I just think nature has so much to do with that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and that's something I really feel strongly about is, um, you know, the golf is this great model for life, right? And we kind of learn, it's like this metaphor. And so there's all these layers of the metaphor. And I think one of them that's really important to me is, you know, we're in this society now where we're becoming more and more kind of disconnected from nature. Uh, all of our food is kind of like comes through this, you know, the, the supermarket. So, so we don't really see a lot of the, the connection to nature. We don't really have that connection to nature. And I think golf kind of brings that into us. And, and as humans, we're, you know, we're animals and we've, we've evolved to, to be part of the land and, you know, just like we're just like us individually are, are becoming disconnected from nature. I think our society is becoming disconnected from nature. And I think the golf industry is a great model of that because, you know, we have a tendency to kind of see nature as an opponent, right? We're trying to prevent weeds and we're trying to like, um, you know, keep everything very manicured and, and kind of mono crops and so forth. And, and we have this kind of adversary, adversarial kind of, uh, relationship. And I think what, what needs to change is we need to have this paradigm shift where we become partners with nature. We use the golf course as this way to, to reconnect with nature. And we can do that individually as golfers by being out there and seeing the bees and the flowers and recognizing what species of trees we're looking at. And, you know, the turf is a little brown this time of year and that's totally cool because that's kind of the seasonality of it. You know, we, we kind of expect these, you know, Augusta national conditions year round and that's totally unrealistic. And, uh, so I think there's some great lessons to be learned through golf and being out there in nature, uh, you know, from the individual all the way up to our society as a whole. So how many apiaries have you established on the metaverse? Are you, (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't even know what the metaverse is, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, but like I, when I hear you say that, that's just, it came to mind, but, but like it, it is, it's distinct, right? (laughs) Golf is in nature. It's outside. It's like bees are going to somehow be in the metaverse. I imagine, but the real benefit of them in our ecosystem (laughs) is, is out where we are in, in nature. It's, um, the, uh, yeah, bees in the metaverse. I got to really look into what that's going to look like. You'll be, <laughs> you, someone already beat you to it. There's already a beekeeper in the metaverse. Oh, for, sure. I'm sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about, uh, Goat Hill. 
man that that was uh when it first came on my radar i was going to a wedding out in san diego and i was like talked my wife into cruising up there and nice. i was like i just gotta check this thing place out there's something going on up here and you know john ashworth obviously has great track record and uh knew was a cool dude but i wasn't ready for what hit me there which mm-hmm. was just obviously the vibe very welcoming people in t-shirts flip-flops playing golf respecting golf they were golfers you know it wasn't like this wasn't it, it just felt very golfy to me but it was also just um um let things be and and i and the visual that i got was that first round there where um they only watered certain stuff it was brown everywhere else right you you mm-hmm. didn't hit your great shot you were often kind of a dirt patch why because they weren't watering it but guess what you hit in the fairway and you're hitting off a beautiful turf grass and so i just that was that was interesting to me i did not get stung by bees i don't know if this is this is probably this is like five years ago so maybe prior to your work there Mm -hmm. but uh tell me a little bit about your just time your time at goat hill what it's meant to you and and how that's been a part of your um your beekeeping but also just the whole greener golf sustainable effort yeah i mean Goat Hill is very innovative with regard to what golf can be and kind of the future of golf. And I see, uh, like you said, people showing up there in, in t-shirts and flip-flops and it's just that comfortable environment where, you know, golf kind of gets this reputation of the, of the stuffy nature. Right. And, um, it kind of turns, turns some people off. So I feel like that welcoming environment just right off the bat makes you feel, all right, golf is golf isn't, you know, it's, it's for, for anybody. And, uh, just the variety of, of, uh, players there. I mean, there's like professional, like really good players there. Um, the Friday skins game is, uh, is a tough one. Um, <laughs> there's some good players out there. Who's the name? Um, Who's the guy that's taking down all the cash at the Friday skins game? Uh, I'd say, I'd say my buddy, Matt Picasso is he's, he's out there every Friday. He's on the corn ferry tour, a really good player. And, uh, um, I got a skin last week, which I was, which I'm like, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one because that's a rarity, but, uh, I think you know, I saw good, that. Was that an Eagle on one Eagle on one? Eagle. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was tuning yeah. in somehow got it on the green. I don't know how, but it was, <laughs> that was, a. I started strong and and that was, that was about it, but it's all you need, you know, a couple of good shots. Uh, skins. But, yeah. But there's some good players out there. A lot of the pros when they're in town, you know, the PGA tour guys come through and they have the wishbone brawl every year at Thanksgiving. They have some like a persimmon exhibition match. Um, but all the way, you know, they have, the, they got the elite golfers to new golfers. And so you've got the playground there, which is a little three hole kids course. And they've got the driving range with the, the, all the bells and whistles on it and some good putting greens. And, uh, you know, it's, and, and just, you play nine holes, you can play from the, the mini goat forward tees, or you can play the back tees and stretch it out. And it's, it's pretty tough, but, uh, you know, it's, it just has that feeling that like anyone can show up and play. And, and, and so that's, that's kind of the number one thing for me right off the bat is like, you feel welcome there. And, and it's a strong community, you know, it's, it's like, uh, people respect the, the course and, and they kind of understand that this is something special. And so I think that's a great model to follow for, for a lot of golf courses. 
Um, but from, from my experience for, for sustainability and beekeeping and so forth, I think John is, is really supportive of, of just the sustainability message and, and trying different things. And so what we're trying to do there is create more of like a, a great golf experience and, and, but also kind of like a, you know, botanical garden kind of ecosystem, uh, kind of refuge kind of space where, where all are welcome, all species are welcome, you know? And, and so we've got, uh, a lot of areas dedicated to, to flowering plants for the pollinators and butterflies. We've got the apiary set up on number 12. So when you're, when you're teeing off, you can kind of just like, all right, I'm going to aim at, you know, the, the right bee bench and with a little draw or something like that. And, um, so just little like touches around the course where you can see that, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into, into this space. And, you know, there's just a huge list of, of opportunities that we're, we're, we're trying to accomplish and, uh, keep, keep the ball rolling there with regard to sustainability and, and how this golf course can be a real benefit to, uh, to the environment. So, so for me, it's, you know, ideal uh, kind of client yeah. relationship and partner and collaborator, you know, it's, um, it just feels like in, and with the stage that they've been able to give it to a lot of people, you know, pay attention with like the brand of link soul with, you know, Ashworth mm-hmm. involved and, and, uh, Matty G out there now or yeah, uh, yeah. full time now is like, I know he does a ton of stories on it. So I, I, it seems like that's a, uh, for the sustainable effort that you're pushing. It's definitely a, a place that you can point people to, to take a look. And yeah. I know um, there's a lot going on here with our involvement at canal shores. And we, we helped with one of the apiaries that went in, uh, nice. except the, the Northwestern entomology guy told us, he was disappointed because it is, it's geared at honeybees. Yeah. It's not, it's not really native bees. Yeah. And so I, I want to get yeah. your take on that real quick. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people yeah. that say like the kind of honeybees are this, the cute, you know, people magazine, yeah. but like the native bees are kind of these badass, like yeah. even more a step up in terms of what they can produce. Like, is it, is there validity to that? Is that true? Yeah. I mean, there's some competition. I mean, honeybees is, are a basically exotic species european honeybee apis mellifera originated in northern africa and europe and they were brought over you know kind of in the in like the mayflower days or whatever and um but they've thrived and the the challenge is that our agricultural system has kind of been built on the backs of these pollinators and so we rely on such a large quantity of pollinators that without honeybees, we we wouldn't be able to accomplish what, what we do. And so we have this dynamic where there's, we, we want to support native pollinators, but also we need honeybees, you know, in order to fulfill the pollination services that are required. Mm. My, my rebuttal to kind of this adverse, you know, this kind of competition is, uh, you know, when you're supporting honeybees, you're planting flowers, you're, you're creating these, these kind of habitat areas. And it's not only honeybees that benefit from these areas. So native pollinators really thrive on these flowered areas as well. And you can put up, you know, Mason bee boxes that have little wooden holes in them, and you can really support the native pollinators as well as part of a, a beekeeping and pollinator, uh, promotion program. 
And so I think they kind of go hand in hand. The PPP, I, the pollination yeah, yeah, promotion pollen, program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was, right? The, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what should be the government program, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, that competition it is, you know, it's valid. There, there's some concern there, but I think there's the way that our system is set up. We rely on honeybees. We also want to support native pollinators. So I think there's ways we can accomplish both by having bees on golf courses, but also providing native pollinators with a lot of habitat and forage opportunities as well. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was curious about that. And I'm glad I remembered to ask you that one. Um, the, the plate. So those places, it just seems like such a great fit and such a good, um, such good stewards, you know, your goat Hills, your canal shores. And I, I think mm-hmm. there's going to be more like it. Um, mm-hmm. but there is that, I'm, I'm, my mind goes back to that financial incentive, the monetary incentive. And for mm-hmm. all our other golf courses that, you know, those two places I believe are nonprofits or at least canal shores is a nonprofit, just trying to get, uh, to zero every single year with donations. And so, you know, the apiary was a no brainer for them, but if mm-hmm. they had, you know, to decide, do I put, a couple thousand dollars in this bee apiary area or and plant native grasses or do i you know get another grounds crew and and make sure my green is mm-hmm. aerified on time and and all that all that stuff so yeah. I, how do you i mean what do we do you know that that the the financial side of that i could see being such a barrier to this yeah yeah i mean the the it, it all comes down to the customer, right. Of who's, who's playing and who's, who's the decision maker. So really a golf course is, um, you know, the, the decision maker obviously is like the general manager or the superintendent or the head professional or, or whatever they, they kind of make the decisions, but they're, they're informed by their customers. Right. And so if a customer comes up and says, Hey, you know, we need to do like we have an opportunity to support bees here and, and let's, let's try and do that. And, and I think customers in our society in general and, and, you know, consumers are really starting to really believe in the messaging of their, their products of what they buy. Like, is this product sustainable? Um, is this wine, does this wine come from organic grapes or is it produced kind of industrial style? And so, you know, they're, they're willing to pay a little bit more for, uh, the, this, the one that has the story about how it's good for the ecosystem. And so I think golfers are the same way. They, they really rely on, you know, the storytelling aspect of like, not only am I playing golf here and it's a great golf experience, but there's, you know, my, my dollars are going to something that's benefiting, um, you know, this community and this ecosystem. And so maybe, you know, maybe there's some sort of, uh, you know, if you're, if, if, if it's really a budgetary concern, it, it, you can kind of reconsider your green fee structure, or maybe there's a, an event, an annual event that kind of is to support the pollinators or also there's a lot of grants and, and, uh, government funding and, and organizations that are willing to support efforts to increase pollinator forage and pollinator habitat. And so, there's a, there's a lot of ways to get creative, to fill that gap. If, if it's just a financial concern, you know, I think that's, that's an easy hurdle to get over. It's just, it takes a little bit of creativity. Um, that's, 
it's so interesting what you say about the us as golfers being the decision maker of our courses. Cause in the end, you're right. It's where are we going to join as members? Where are we going to play our, you know, book our tee times and, and we kind of hold that fate. And if we value a sustainable golf course and golf courses start slapping seals, like the wine in my, I got a bunch of friends pushing natural wine on me. I'm not there just yet, but I'm <laughs> eking closer. Uh, they, they have all this, these distinctions, right. That there's organizations that are looking into their process and making sure that they have that, that stamp. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've had not, I got a question about that stamp, but before I get there in the golf industry, but before I get to that, I, I wanted to ask about those expectations from a golfer's perspective. And, you know, since I've had this stubborn interest in, um, ecology, I've started to look at my own preferences a, a little different. And I'll give you a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love golf course architecture. I geek out on all everything the fried egg does. I geek out on, um, you know, any article I can find on Doak and, and all kinds of different th- thought school of thoughts on golf course architecture. Well, the popular one of today is rip all the trees out, right. And deforestation. And I joined a club that was doing that. And I said, my, my position at the time was rip them out <laughs> that, that one, get it going. Cause I, I want that linksy feel and that's what I, but, but the more I've read about, you know, these issues, that uh, face our ecosystems, you know, those oak trees are, we're, we're home to a lot of these pollinators we're talking about and they're yeah. gone. And so I, I, um, you know, I just, I wanted to understand from your perspective, like how does that balance out? Right. For all of us, I think there's a lot of people that are listening that are big on tree removal and tree managed programs. Right. Cause our courses maybe have been overgrown, but like, what's the fine, where's the line and, and how do mm-hmm. we get, how do we get ecology a seat at that table when, you know, uh, cause I, I, I'll tell you right now, I don't think it was a part of the, the boards I've heard talk about their tree removals. Um, I haven't heard a lot of architects talk about the, the habitat when they're, they're talking about tree removal. So I, I'm just, I'm just curious from your perspective, where's the line? How do we help mm-hmm. th- them consider that? Yeah. I mean, that this is a really good question. And I think, from my perspective, being a practitioner in golf, when I, when I define sustainability, there's the economic side of it. There's the environmental side of it. There's the kind of the social and community side of it, but there's also the golf experience side of it. So that's kind of this additional value in golf. Sustainability is like, it has to be a good golf product. And so I think we need to kind of take a step back in time and, and, like back in the day, they they just planted trees all over the place and without a consideration of how of this tree is going to be a hundred feet tall and it's going to be a giant in about 50 to hundred years. You know, it's, it's, you know, nothing against like the memorial tree, you know, I'm, I'm all for that, but it, there's this thing in landscape architecture where it's like, right, Pete, right, right tree, right place. Yeah. So you, you, you have to consider the species, consider the size, consider the location and does that tree, uh, enhance the golf course architecture and the playing experience, or when it is 50 years old and giant, is it going to be sucking water from the green and shading out an area and causing a lot of issues there? So, you know, the tree removal, I think is kind of cleaning up some of the mess of the past of, of kind of recklessly planting trees. I might get flack for that, but whatever. 
I, but I think there's opportunities, you know, if there's a, a meadow, you can plant a lot of, um, kind of these native meadowlands and, and pollinator habitat, which sequester a lot of carbon in their roots. They're really growing the soil profile. There's a lot of ways to sequester carbon, uh, that aren't trees and you can still get that, those kind of vistas on a golf course. Um, but with regard to tree planting and tree management, you know, I think there's, you have to consider the original design intention of the golf course architect. And then does that tree species or does that tree enhance that, or does it kind of detract from that? And that's what I would consider, uh, when, when looking at removing a tree, but also there's, there's the ecological side and looking at what ecosystem services does this tree provide? And is there a way to balance that? You know, I think there's kind of these net, as long as there's like a net positive in your tree management, I think that would be an easy sell for, for a community of saying like, well, we're going to remove these say 100 trees, but we're going to create this meadow, which creates these ecosystem services. And it kind of balances out that equation. We're going to sequester carbon. We're going to continue to provide habitat. Um, the reason why we're taking these trees out is because it doesn't fit the, the design of the golf course architect and it, and it detracts from the golf experience. So there's all these kind of like layers of consideration that we need to take into account when we're making a decision about removing a tree or, or adding a tree or planting a tree. And I think, uh, a lot of, a lot of that, those layers aren't really considered when, when we're making those decisions, especially when we're planting a tree. And I think we, we kind of need to, to kind of balance that out and say, well, you know, these, there's these tree line courses that, you know, is that really the original design intention? And, and because of all those trees, you know, the superintendent has a harder job. They're going to have to use, you know, more products to keep that turf healthy and they're going to, there's too much shade. So the turf isn't as good. So there's all these like trade-offs that we have to consider with the, with each decision. Yeah. That what, what it just planting a tree that's going to live, you know, hundreds of years yeah. and, it, it does feel there's a, there's a place here that comically, uh, we love it. We love the golf course. We love the staff. So they've heard me say this and I know one of them in particular will be listening. So it's not a shot at, at, at by any means, but you can clearly see the trees that they've recently planted. It's Ravislow country club, great old Donald Ross on the South side of Chicago. Um, one of my all time favorites still is, but the trees they have planted are in those kind of rows that mm -hmm. just didn't, strike me as very thoughtful. Like, mm -hmm. yes, there's those of us believe that, you know, it doesn't need any more trees. It needs less trees. And you could argue that from all these different layers, but the, the thoughtfulness of where I, I feel like, you know, like you said, 150 acres, that's a lot of turf to, in places that we can do good. Um, and can we still do it with, having that great golf experience, like yeah. it's clearly been done. It can, but mm -hmm. it's just, it takes, takes a lot of thought from the right people, I guess. Yeah. Well, so, so my grandfather was a forestry professor back in the day and at the university of Minnesota, and he, he planted trees all over the state. And, uh, there's a couple of golf courses that, um, were part of his portfolio and the trees are giants now. And, uh, you can, you can see, um, 
you know, I liked to, to kind of tie in something else is like the golf course architect perspective is, uh, the value is, is minimalism of really trying to make this golf course feel like it exists, existed there already. And the golf and the golf course architect kind of brings it to life and the trees should feel the same way, right? They should, they should feel as part of the ecosystem. It shouldn't be like this row of, of like a, like a supermarket aisle. Like you're going straight down this, this row of trees. Uh, it just doesn't feel right to us. We're, yeah. we're like these, you know, wild creatures, you know, humans have evolved to kind of love the forests, but also love the vistas. So we have this kind of prospect refuge kind of, uh, mentality that we really enjoy. That's kind of deeply ingrained in our instinct. And when we see something artificial, like a row of trees, um, it, it doesn't quite match with us. And so, um, I just love to see the, you know, going to these courses where my grandpa planted trees back in the day and, and there's just giant trees and they look like this kind of a natural forest stand. So I'm kind of happy about that. They're not, they weren't like planted in these, like the, the rows, but I've, I've seen the contrast to that where, you know, everything seems like it was just, you know, every 10 feet, there's like a tree put in and, um, it just doesn't really fit, fit the eye. You know, and you yeah. can kind of tell, sub, you know, sub, it's like subliminal um, discomfort, right? And, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, my maybe the last question before we move on to our, our uh, questionnaire for I could, and again, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but um, maybe we bring you back for a second part series on uh, cool. on the non pollinator stuff. But um, I wanted to ask you about just certifications and you know, uh, sustainable efforts. I remember vaguely a popular podcast guest of the show is Rob Collins, the course super or super sorry, course architect for Sweetens Cove and many other, you know, new spots that people are seeking out. He, he wrote a thesis in college at Swanee about the Audubon society and how like in such, I, I, I love telling the story cause I feel like it defines who Rob Collins is so well is his whole premise was like the Audubon thing was total bullshit and that anybody could be an Audubon. They could just fudge their numbers. And it was, a, it was the simplest thing to do. And he actually dug into it and he's like, they're not doing anything for these migratory birds. They're not doing it. You know? So like, um, I'm just asking from your perspective, who has spent a lot of time and a life committed to this is what, what are the certifications out there? What are things like we could look for? Are there, is there a stamp on our golf courses that we want to like almost be asking for? Yeah. And that's the, that's a good question. Um, regarding the Autobahn, I mean, I, I'll try to be diplomatic here and just say that it, it is a, uh, a great step in, in the right direction. I mean, I think there's, there's, uh, it, it's relatively accessible for a golf course manager to become Autobahn certified. And I would, I would recommend it. I think it's valuable in, in kind of that stamp of approval, but, but I think it's kind of the, it addresses some, a lot of low hanging fruit, right. Where you just have to kind of fill, fill in a couple of bubbles and answer some questions and, and do a couple of projects on your course, just to demonstrate that you're being a good steward and then boom, you're certified. Um, so, you know, great entry level start to sustainability, uh, in, in Europe, there's the golf environment organization called geo, which, which actually has a certification process, which is kind of like, uh, um, 
it's basically um, these different levels of certification based on how rigorous your your management is. And um, it's kind of the, similar to the U.S. Green Building Council's LEED certification. Um, but uh, I mean, the, the European model is a little bit different than over here and it hasn't really caught on quite yet. So there's not, not too many geo certified courses out here yet. Um, and then, you know, project I'm working on, it's, con it's a continual project that I started in, in my master's project work is, is basically creating an index of sustainability. So you, you go in, you kind of calculate or you, you capture some data, you put it into an algorithm and, and basically you have like a, a level of sustainability. It's kind of a, a method of benchmarking where you say, this is kind of the level where we're at now. Let's try some new, new things and then do that same assessment later. And, and then, it, then it gives you this way to tell a story, right? You have this change. And so like we were here, now we're here. That's a great story about sustainability. Um, but to kind of bring it, you know, tie it all together, the, I think the best certification, you know, quote unquote certification, there's no stamp yet. Maybe we, maybe we can create a stamp. That's where I was going. I was, maybe I was we can say, maybe what use you? your logo, right? We could just, you know, this is a bee friendly golf course. Right. And so, um, if this golf course, if you see a golf course that has bees, uh, you know, that's, that's a bonus. And if you see a golf course that has flowering plants on, on site, uh, also a bonus. So you can kind of, as a golfer, you know, I would recommend really being aware of your surroundings when you're on the golf course, kind of like, what is this out of play areas function? Is it do anything? Or are they managing it? What are they doing with it? And those kind of questions, uh, can kind of help you assess the sustainability level of your golf course. And, uh, but I would, I would, you know, I'm a golfer and I, I, uh, talk to the head pro and say, Hey, are there bees on your golf course? Like, you know, who's the superintendent and you know, what's, what's their experience and do they, you know, what do they, what do they do? Or I'd, I'd approach the superintendent if you see, see them, see them out on the course or beforehand. Um, but I'd, I'd say that like going back to the consumer, having such an influence on how things play out, you know, be vocal with, with your interests and say, and you know, a lot of courses have surveys and a lot of courses have, you know, research on how to, how to enhance their golf experience. And I would, as a golfer say, I'd like my golf course to be sustainable. I'd like my golf course to uh, support bees. I'd like my golf course to provide healthy food, whatever it is, you know, there's all these different levels of sustainability that we can really push onto our, our golf courses. And I think, you know, the, the more voices we have in this, in this battle, the, the louder we are and, and, and the more the courses will listen. That's a, that's a great message, Parker. Um, the, we gave a lot of love to the bees. There's, yeah. I, I think I read there's like 19,000 species of bees or something like that. Do you got, I, I, I don't gotta, have a hard number off, off the top of my head right now, but there is a lot. I think it's like 40,000. It, it depends on how uh, broad you want to look, what, sure. what is a bee, but there's, there's a lot of species. Just from, from one bee geek to another, what, what's your favorite? You got a favorite species out there? Is it the honeybee? You spend, it's, I bet you spend your most time with the honeybee. I spent a lot of time with the honeybees, but I'd say, uh, I mean, bumblebees like a variety of bumblebees are 
you know, a very social bee, a very, very social. social. They're social bees, but they're also just like big and furry and clumsy. And they're just like really fun to watch. So I love the bumblebees. I love honeybees the most though, just cause I get to know them so well. Well, you're, you're going to become a, a certified consultant for us on this stuff. Cause I want, I want to break down each of the pollinators uh, and kind of classify the golfers in those, in those groups. Yeah. Right. So it's like yeah. the bumblebee is a very social yeah. bee. If you got the bumblebee logo next to you, well, that's, that's a guy that goes out there, likes to have a couple of beers, you know, trip yeah. it up. Yeah. If yeah. you got that leaf cutter bee next to your name, that means, Oh, that guy, Oh, he's competitive. He's yeah. going to, He's going to try to, you know, play for money. And then you got wasps that, which are just like brutal competitors. <laughs> or wa- wasp is another one. Are, yeah. are they a-holes? Do they pollinate? Do they help out? They're beneficial. They, they're like, basically they're predatory. So they are carnivorous primarily. So they'll eat a lot of, um, pests, you know, okay. so it's kind of like a, if you have wasps around, they're good there could kind of, uh, some muscle to have against some of the, the predatory insects, but they, yeah. their sting is the worst, right? Their sting is, and they're mean. They like, yeah, they're just they mean. Can, yeah. They won't die when they sting. So they'll just sting you just a, to say a what's lot up. Of, a lot of my negative experiences that I thought were bees. Yeah. I'm, I'm I've learned now they were actually wasps and I didn't, I didn't realize it, but yeah, I get a lot of, a lot of calls of like, Hey, we have bees and I go over and it's, it's wasps. And it's awesome. yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, what's your favorite non bee pollinator? <laughs> I'm going to ask you that. I know there's like beetles. Um, there's uh, well, wasp, about, I guess counts. How about bees. bats? Really like bats them. pollinate? Bats are pollinators. Yeah. It's like some, some varieties of cactus and stuff like that. They're, they're interesting. Really cool to watch. Yeah. And I'm going to go on a bat kick after this. I'll be a bat kick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got 18 more questions for you. All right. Uh, this is what we call the 19th soul. It's supposed to be quick answer. Um, but essentially what I've done is adapted Marcel Proust, the French novelist. He wrote 35 questions to get at the truest nature of an individual. And our questions aren't trying to do that. Our questions are attempting to get to the soul of the golfer, Parker Anderson, the golfer. All right. So Parker, are you ready for the 19th soul? I'm ready. I'll do my best. Question number one, when and where were you the happiest as a golfer? I'd say, uh, Bandon Dunes, old McDonald, uh, with a group of buddies, which were, we have an annual golf trip called Damastas, uh, and then ate some playing alternate shot cross country golf. That's the good life. <laughs> old Mac. When someone tells you old Mac's last on the list, what do you say to him? I'd say look closer. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Yeah. Number two, what is the scariest golf shot? I'd say, uh, the third tee shot at the Valley club, just because it's kind of early in your round and it's a really tough tee shot. And for those that haven't played it, it's kind of got, you've got a Barranca on the right. You've got out of bounds on the left. It's a long par four and it kind of will dictate the vibe of your round. So I really am extra focused on that tee shot. Yeah. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Um, the vegan option. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a plant eater for a number of reasons. One of them is obviously for sustainability reasons. And I really support golf clubs that provide a little 
vegan option um, at the halfway house. Otherwise I'll pack my own. Yeah. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? Oh man, where do I start? Uh, I'd say I have a tendency to get lazy and like sway into my shots and I'll just hit these high fly right, right field shots. That's, I hate that. I yeah. just absolutely hate it. The old, I call him a poofer. Is it a poofer? Yeah, the po- it's like a, yeah, it's a high fade poofer. <laughs> I'm just hoping there's room way right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know it well. Uh, yeah. Number, I come from the inside, so I, I know it well. Number five, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers? Um, like club slamming and just, just getting angry. I think it, golf is a, as a reveal it or revealer of character. And so I think, uh, it kind of shows, shows a little something about somebody if you're slamming clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. Not impressed. Not impressing anybody when you're doing no, that. No. Number six, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Uh, good question there. I'd say like a curiosity and just like a, an openness, I'd say present mindedness, like being in the present moment, being like curious about what's going on in the round and just chatting and enjoying your, your present moment in time. That is some mindfulness right there. I, I, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I try to keep up folks off their phone best I can when we're organizing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Live scoring makes that tough, but I know, man, it's tough. Yeah. The pre- being present, adds just such, such an element to the day. If you can do that. Uh, number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Oh man, over, overuse. I'd say like, I just say good shot, good shot a lot, yeah. you know, like, even if it's not that good, I'll be like, yeah, good <laughs> shot. It'll work. You know? So Dude, does it ever, uh, my mind merged somewhere in college where it was good shot. And then it just was like a, a guttural, like good followed by shot. Yeah, it was like shot, shot, shot. shot. Yeah. It's it like, just like say shot. <laughs> I started, yeah, it basically just sounds like shot. Uh, yeah. number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? <clears throat> Um, Nico Doris length, our mutual uh, friend. Yeah. Golf man, blueprint, I mean, shout out sponsor of the pod. It would be, it would be pretty nice to have that long of a T ball, but, uh, you know, golf would be boring. So I, I think like, I just want to be able to visualize a shot and, and do it. So like execution, <laughs> <laughs> tiger level execution. Yeah, yeah exactly. That is, that is just to visualize it, see it and just replicate it. Everybody's got their own opinions. I, I think the satisfaction you get from visualizing a shot and then seeing it play out in real life is the best feeling in golf. It's really, yeah. Can't touch that. You can't beat that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number eight, what, no, no, no. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Um, I got a couple of good putters. I've, I've used the same putter for my whole life, but so that's probably one of them, but I'd say 
I've got this shadow box that my mom made that has my first hole in one ball, which, which I, which I did at uh, town and country club in St. Paul during a father son tournament when I was like 17. Uh, it's pretty special. She put a set shadow box with like the scorecard, a picture of me and my dad and the balls in there. It's pretty awesome. That's when, when you move, that one is always yeah. looked yeah. after and... house, house on fire. I'm like grabbing that as I run out the door. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, making the turn to number 10. What's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say, um, I'm pretty tidy with my golf bag because I used I like to walk and carry. So I, I kind of keep, keep to the minimalism style, some, some snacks, I, some golf tees and whatnot. I was envisioning opening up your side pocket and just like a swarm of bees just yeah. comes out yeah. all of a sudden. Oh, sorry guys. Those are my friends. Those are my pals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do keep a couple little like beekeeping tools in there and just, just, you know, just in case, but I'd say, uh, like what, what's just in case beekeeper tool that you have like, to have uh, like a queen cage is a good swarm, <laughs> swarm trap tool. So if there's a swarm nearby and if you can find the queen and put her in the cage there, like they'll like hang out there so I can keep that on hand. Yeah. That's um, gotta, that's gotta stay in the bag. So don't throw that yeah, out. Yeah. Don't throw that out. I'd say like my even clubs, but let's just go for a half set. I don't need all those golf clubs. <laughs> Who needs all those golf clubs? Have you done much half set golf or less? Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, I like to be a shot maker and, you know, hit a little like knockdown shot or, and it makes decision-making like way easier. My right? best, can... my best round of 2021 was half set or What's what year is it? 2022. Yeah. That was last year. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a total half set. And I'm like, man, I, I, I'm really considering I might be a better golfer with less clubs. <laughs> yeah. I really am. I'm like, like, yeah, it's like, you don't have a choice. This is the club. Commitment. You're use. It's commitment. Yeah. And I just yeah. see, I feel like that visual thing. Right. Yeah. It makes you, yeah. It makes you a shot maker. I've right? never gotten that answer for that question. Throw out half of my half clubs. Of your clubs. <laughs> Number 11. What is your favorite job or occupation in golf? Um, more specifically, maybe a job at the golf course, uh, a job at the golf course. Well, I worked, I've, I've worn many hats in the golf business. So I've, I've had plenty of experience. I'd say beekeeper is a great job to have on a golf course. Um, but I've done some shaping. I'm actually going to be working for, for Renaissance golf design this summer on the, the new Sedge Valley course, get some experience on some equipment. And it's a little, a lot of fun to, uh, to move dirt around. So I'm going to say, uh, bulldozer driver shaper. Oh, that's awesome. You yeah. just add into the list. Yeah. Yeah. Sustainability, right. It's like all encompassing how yeah. to build a golf course sustainably. Let's, let's work on that a little. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, number 12, have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? Uh, yeah. In and in I mean, obviously in the, in a tournament, you have to get your, your, your marker signature, but, uh, like professional wise, I've, I've got a, a good collection of signatures. A couple highlights would be, I've got a tiger woods ball. Um, I've got, uh, Payne Stewart, um, David Robinson basketball player on a golf ball. Oh yeah. The rare, the rare <laughs> yeah. admiral on yeah. that's, that's what was it? His golf ball, your golf ball. Uh, yeah, I just had him sign one of my golf balls and he was playing in like a charity tournament or something. And yeah, I think that's cool. my favorite of that list. They're all great. Yeah. But no. yeah. yeah. 
Number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? Man, uh, that's a tough one. I'd say, uh, Dr. Alistair McKenzie, just because, um, he was a physician primarily that kind of saw the value in golf of like, he'd send his patients out to play golf as like a medicine. So I kind of see that like golf is kind of a medicine for me. I like to be out in nature. Um, also he's kind of an expert in minimalism and really using the the contours and the natural setting of a, a landscape uh, into the design. So I think those characteristics I, I, I relate to. And he was kind of a sustainable preacher as well to, right. Yeah, I remember yeah. Spirit of St. Andrews. I remember him saying some things about, about that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he was saying like, basically, you should look at a golf hole and really feel like it was, it was there already a very natural setting. Um, and back in the, you know, twenties, when he was building golf courses, there wasn't a lot of, you know, you, you don't have bulldozers. So it was like, you're using very low impact methods to, to create these golf courses. So, um, you know, rabbits, he was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sheep. yeah. Rabbits and Bring sheep. It. So he was, he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number 14, what is your greatest golf regret? Uh, greatest golf regret. That is a tough one. I'd say, um, you know, I always regret not playing more. So that's, <laughs> you know, good. I, I, uh, but I have a lot of other things going on and, you know, I can't, can't play as much as I'd like to, but you know, I'll take what I can get. Number 15, what is your favorite golf book or movie? That's easy one golf in the kingdom by Michael Murphy. It's kind of like this, the spiritual guide to golf. And I've read that probably, you know, 12 times and I'd kind of pick a few chapters here and there. They turned it into a movie. The movie's not great, but uh, you know, it's, it still kind of captures that same, same vibe and um, great, great golf book. If you're a golf dork, you gotta, you gotta read it. I it's, I put a number one for people that yeah, have required read. required. Yeah. Reading. Require reading. And you might, you do have to read it 12 times. Cause when Shiva starts talking yeah, in the old like, Scottish, what? the way yeah. they write that, that's tough. That's yeah. like, gonna, they, they need to, that needs to come with a warning. Just, Hey, there's yeah. going to be some words in here that you might need help with. Yeah. It <laughs> might, it might not resonate with all golfers, but there's definitely something in there that if you can, if you can capture that like metaphysical vibe that's going on in that book, you're going to, you're going to be a better person, better golfer because of it. Yeah. 100%. We're going to Skyline. We might give that out to everybody. Uh, number yeah. 16, what is your least favorite hole in golf? Uh, man. I'd say anything that is a shorter first shot than like you have a shorter tee shot than your second shot. So like you're hitting a seven iron, then like a, you know, like a three iron, something like that. I don't have anything in mind. I mean, I think every <laughs> golf holes can be fun, but, um, yeah, there's some weird ones that, that require like a little, you know, those like crazy dog legs, like the big elbows. I'm not a big fan. Z holes. Mostly yeah. like tree line, too many trees. And yeah, they had the Z, the Z, Z hole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number 17. This is a new one to the bag drop. 
uh, 19th soul questionnaire. If you were to die and come back as a person or thing, what do you think it would be? Uh, well, since we're talking about bees, I'd say not a bee because they're the hardest working creatures on the planet. Uh, I don't want to work that hard. Um, I'd say my favorite tree. So I'm going to say a tree. I'd say my favorite tree is a, is a white pine, which are big in the the Midwest. Yeah. Kind of these giant white pines. Um, they're just very majestic and you know, they're, they're prominent in their, in their environments. So I'd, I think that'd be a cool, cool thing to be. Nice. And 18 first or last question. If you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? I don't have a motto, but probably should come up with one. Um, just be kind and you can spell that either B E or B E E, <laughs> but I'd say just be kind you know, be kind to yourself, be kind to the environment, you know, be kind to others. I think if everyone was a little kinder, you'd have a pretty awesome world. I, I cannot resist a good B pun. So I will tell you right now, the title of this podcast is be kind B E E. So thank you for that. If people roll awesome. their eyes, that's on <laughs> them. It's not on you. It's not on me. Um, Parker, thank, yeah. thank you for joining, man. This was a, a really treat for me, a topic that I, I'm very novice on, but have interest in. And I think other people will too. I, I think you shared just so much insightful things about um, a place a lot of us spend a lot of time the golf course that we probably don't look at it through the lens that you do. And I uh, just wanted to say, thanks for sharing all that with us. I really appreciate it. It was great to talk with you and I hope your listeners get some value out of it and take it out on the golf course. 